0: Happy Hump Day, Oregon! I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon History Podcast. It's Wednesday, so this is an archive show but it last aired two to ten years ago, so unless you're a hardcore long-time listener, it's probably new to you. Thanks for downloading, and I hope you enjoy it. This story was first published on January 5th of 2014 under the headline, The Oregonian Once Burgled a Mayoral Candidate's Office. Here we go. Late on the evening of June 2nd, 1917, the portland Morning Oregonian sprang a trap. A cunning and dirty trap. The always formidable daily newspaper, owned and edited by Henry Pittock following the death of the legendary Harvey Scott, had thrown its weight behind a big, boisterous city council member named George Baker in the race for Portland city mayor. But in a fierce race with union man and small business owner Will Daly, Baker was clearly on track to lose. For Piddock, that was simply not acceptable. Daly, a former Oregonian employee who had gone on to become Portland's utility commissioner, had earned Pittock's lifelong hatred several years before, when he had uncovered a secret contract between the city and Pittock, under the terms of which, in exchange for favorable press in the Oregonian, the city would install, at considerable expense to the taxpayers, a half-mile-long pipeline bringing unlimited quantities of complimentary bull-run water out to Pittock's West Hills estate which was outside city limits. When Daly publicly exposed this larcenous little scheme, Piddock's personal reputation was considerably sullied, and Daly instantly became his ex-boss's bete noire. No, Piddock would not sit idly by while his number one enemy took over the city government. But then he wouldn't have to. He'd already taken the necessary steps to make sure that didn't happen. Some time before this, Piddock had sent some of his more morally flexible staff members on what you might call an undercover investigation. You might also call it, as Watergate plotter E. Howard Hunt surely would, a black bag job. Simply put, they'd broken into Daly's house in the middle of the night and rifled through his papers looking for something they could use. And they had hit the jackpot. What they'd found was a partially filled-out application for membership in the Socialist Party dated 1910. It isn't clear even today whether Daly ever actually joined the Socialist Party. Some sources say he did briefly before renouncing it and registering as a Republican. Others say he never sent the paperwork in. But such niceties didn't matter to Piddock. What he cared about was not fairness or journalistic integrity, but simply denying Daly the mayorship. And now, two months after U.S. entry into the First World War, the anti-war socialist party was extremely unpopular. A credible claim that Daly was a registered socialist would be some serious medicine. Maybe even an election swinger if handled right. And Piddock intended to handle it right. He sat on the document until the very last minute, and then, on the evening of June 2nd, he loaded the next day's Oregonian up like a cannon with the fruits of his felony and pulled the trigger. The shot hit the front porches of most homes in Portland the very next morning, the day before election day. Quote, Security of city hangs on election, it shrieked in heavy headline type on page one. Baker and growth or Daly and strife is the issue. Question is up to voters. Daly's election first number on radical program. Agitators all back him. Such was the Oregonian's reputation as a voice-of-establishment cronyism that not even this massive editorial broadside, delivered as it was the day before the election, guaranteeing that Daly would have no chance to respond in any meaningful way, did not move the election results much. But it changed enough minds to hand Baker the election by a slim 1% margin. Just like that, Daly was finished. Will Daly was born in Missouri and was one of those newspaper press men with ink in their blood. He started work at the Springfield Leader Democrat at age 10. By the time he was 31, he'd worked his way to the top. He was the press foreman there. When his mother died, Daly and his wife, Daisy, moved to Oregon. And Will ended up taking a job working on the press at the Morning Oregonian a few months after arriving. A few years later, he moved to the Portland Linotype Company. And he also opened his own small printing business on the side, the Portland Monotype Company. Meanwhile, Daly was also rising through the ranks at the Oregon State Federation of Labor. By 1908, he was the union president. As an articulate, intelligent fellow who was both a blue-collar worker and a small business owner, he turned out to be remarkably effective at helping union workers and small-scale entrepreneurs see eye to eye. This was especially true after he was elected to the city council in 1911. This, of course, made him somewhat dangerous to the large-scale former entrepreneurs who formed Portland's power elite, including the fairly scurrilous one for whom Daly once had worked, that is, Piddock. So it was probably inevitable that Daly and his ex-boss would stop seeing eye-to-eye pretty quickly. Things got bad in 1914 when Daly went to bat for the drivers of Jitneys, which were like the progenitors of taxicabs. Jitneys were privately owned automobiles that entrepreneurs would buy and then drive around town looking for fares. This was annoying the executives of the Portland Railway Light and Power Company, the monopoly outfit that controlled Portland streetcars, which wanted the Jitneys outlawed. Pittock, who probably regularly enjoyed brandy and cigars with PRL and P. Bigwigs, vigorously agreed and never lost a chance to make the case that letting these small business entrepreneurs continue providing service to an eager public threatened to destroy the city's vulnerable massive electricity and transportation monopoly. Daly, of course, just as vigorously disagreed. Then came that incident with Piddock's attempted theft of city water and Daly calling him on it, and after that, the relationship between the two men settled into a state of something like an open war. Well, after losing the election, Daly retired from public life and focused on his printing business. In 1920, he accepted an appointment as Oregon's Federal Food Price Commissioner, but when he learned how much red tape and scrutiny of his business would be involved, he resigned. And when Mayor Baker stood for re-election the same year, Daly actually endorsed his one-time rival. He died, mostly forgotten, in 1924 just 54 years old. Key sources in this story have included works by Robert D. Johnson, Sean Daly, OregonEncyclopedia.org, and the Portland Morning Oregonian archives from 1917. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love, which is in turn a division of Pulp Lit Productions, a boutique publishing house that specializes in audiobook and regular book editions, of stories from the classic pulp fiction era. Robert E. Howard, Algernon Blackwood, Edgar Rice Burroughs, and so on. More info can be found at pulp-lit.com. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license, type CC by SA International 4.0. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Got an idea for a show I should do, or just want to say hi, or maybe you're going to be in Corvallis sometime soon with time for a cup of coffee or a pint of Hammerhead? Drop me a line at fj at offbeatoregon.com. Fresh episodes of offbeat organ history come your way at around 6 a.m. every weekday morning. So if you're looking for the next one, you haven't long to wait. Till then, go fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now.